Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group, our weekly Wednesday get-together. It is Wednesday, August 29, 2018. We're happy to have you joining us on this last Wednesday of August, and I guess the last Wednesday of uh, meteorological summer. Uh, as you know, um, we kind of keep it a little different than astronomy. Uh, summer is June, July, August, so we're wrapping up meteorological summer here, and this is our last show. Uh, we have on with us tonight uh, Chris Ray and Wesley Shaw from MyCoast.org. Uh, it's a neat program where you can help document what's going on in the coastline to help uh, various outlets, the, uh, the government, National Weather Service, uh, as well as those who uh, make coastal decisions. So we're happy to have Chris and Wesley on with us tonight, and uh, we look forward to learning about their program and maybe how you guys at home can help. So uh, this is a live broadcast. There's many ways that you can interact with us. Uh, we are live streaming on Facebook Live periscope and our youtube page so if you're watching on any of those feel free to drop any questions or comments we'll monitor those feeds uh the best way though to do that is on our twitter page at carolina wx group uh we will continually monitor those feeds as they uh, come through tonight and uh get any questions for our guests to them and if you're listening on the podcast towards the end of the show we'll let our guests give out their social media accounts or a website to better uh, help you uh, with the uh, mycoast.org how you can help out there so we'll let uh, them uh, talk about that and uh, if you have any questions that would be also a way um, to get those to our guests so um, that is kind of our housekeeping stuff we want to thank all of those who may be watching who uh, visit us uh myself and james and chris jackson last saturday at the weatherproof event in gastonia north carolina we hope uh, uh we certainly had a great time we hope that you did too over four or over 375 people uh came through the doors and uh we are happy to uh, see everyone and hopefully a couple of our new followers are watching us tonight so with that we're going to do a quick weather round table and then we're going to let shay talk about the tropics because it does seem as we uh, enter the peak hurricane season, uh, the tropics are about to wake up in what could be a very uh, uh, busy start to September uh, if the uh, models hold serve. So with that, let's bring in, well, you've not seen them in a long time, and it's hotter up there than it actually is here in the south. So Peter, up in the uh, Philadelphia area, Peter, how are things going up there? And I guess you guys are in the midst of a heat wave, huh? I am melting. No, it's it's very hot up here. I decided to wait till now uh, for a heat wave to happen. But yes, we're in the second day of a heat wave. We hit the 90s yesterday and now today, even hotter. Let's take a look at uh, what everyone's saying on Twitter today. It's hot. Uh, these are all the highs around the area today. You can see Philly hit 95 and this is even counting the dew points in there. Uh, even down the shore, look at that, 94, 97. So pretty darn hot today and uh the heat index was over 100 some places even got close to 110 uh with the dew points in the mid to upper 70s today which uh surprisingly does happen more often than not but uh it was like a brick wall hitting you walking outside the door today so uh again it's going to be in the 90s tomorrow we may get a little brief uh cool down for a few days over the weekend maybe some rain chances but uh, even the rain chances are pretty low and uh, next week looks like we're going to be uh, warming up again, maybe to the 90s with high humidity. So, uh, of course, it has to wait till the end of the summer now to uh, start getting heat in here again. But uh, hopefully we don't get any hurricanes or anything in here. And I know Shay's going to talk about that in a little bit. So, Scotty, back to you. 
Thank you, Peter. We are ourselves, we've been in kind of, I don't want to say a heat wave because it's still supposed to be in the low 90s here, but uh, we've not had any showers or storms until, well, tonight. And uh, it seems like uh, they are st finally starting to perk up. That's where we'll bring in James Briarton, who is in Charlotte. James, it looks like you have a thunderstorm parked right over you, right? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just bring the radar up instead of my ugly mug because it is uh, right on target for our Wednesday night show here. I'm in South Charlotte. You can see it there on our GSP radar. Uh, that storm making its way here, and uh, we had just uh, kind of sat down here, and I went, that's that's a rumble of thunder. That is lightning. And uh, you've known in the past, if you watched our show a few times, that sometimes uh, we tend to get knocked off the air if we get just a trace amount of precipitation here. Uh, and so we have set up a little backup power supply. So if we get one of those notorious power flashes, we should be just fine, Scotty. James, I hope it's a power flash from lightning and not like a tornado, right? I I don't think that's in the cards at all. But then again, I wasn't expecting to even be that 10% that gets yeah. tonight's storm. But lucky me, it's me. That's right. Well, But James is always prepared, so we will function uh, with or without power there in the Charlotte studio. James will still keep us uh, on air. So thank you for that report, James. Let's go down Interstate 77 just a little bit. We'll bring in Chris Jackson, who is in Columbia tonight. Chris, how are you? Doing good about you, Scotty. Doing well. I know uh, you had a little uh, baseball accident over the weekend. <laughs> Would you care to tear, uh, tell your story and then maybe tell us what's going on weather-wise? Absolutely. Uh, I play uh, the men's adult baseball league. Yes, basically uh, amateur baseball league, and I, I'm a pitcher. And uh, was throwing a, a fastball down Main Street on a 3-1 count with the bases loaded in the second inning. And, and took a line drive right back up the middle, and it was about to hit me in the face. So I threw my, my pitching hand up. and. Well, it, it caught me around the hand versus my face, but it was one of the hardest hit line drives I've ever seen in over 20 years of baseball. And uh, uh, thankfully, I didn't break nothing. Hand's starting to feel a little bit better. But, yeah, <laughs> looking around at the weather, uh, let's see here. We got 95 in Columbia today. I'm going to share my screen here. And uh, it's basically going to stay in this pattern that we've been in, you know, low to the mid-90s every day with, with lows at night, you know, right around 70. Maybe some afternoon storms, uh, especially if we can get the sea breeze up in here to, to help uh, right before sunset each evening. But, uh, yeah, stay in this pattern. It's definitely a hot wind, and we always know Columbia. It always seems to be just a little bit hotter than everyone else. <laughs> you <laughs> guys ready uh, ready to kick off football this weekend, huh? Yeah, let's bring it on. Yeah, you know, there's there's been a whole debate going on down here with uh, – uh, maybe some critics and, and, and the USC athletic department over the, you know, the condition of Williams Bryce because the Jay-Z Beyonce concert that was last, I think last Tuesday, but uh, you know, they got some great looking grass put down. Hopefully it will be no big deal. We'll play coastal Carolina sun or uh, Saturday at noon. So it's going to be a hot one there in Columbia. Absolutely. Well, let's toss it over to uh, Jared Smith, who is in uh, Charleston, South Carolina tonight, Jared. How are things there in uh, the beautiful city of Charleston? Uh, persistence works best uh, when it comes to our forecast. Pretty much like Chris, maybe just take a couple degrees off the top end of it, and uh, that's that's basically it. We've had some foggy mornings recently. Um, been kind of nice with some of the shorter days to get to use the nighttime microphysics a little bit more on Go 16 um, to look at those areas of fog, which is fun. But um, anyway, yeah, the days are getting shorter. We are getting uh, out of meteorological summer. And as far as how things stack up, I've been crunching some numbers. Um, tied for eighth right now, eighth warmest meteorological summer on record with an average temperature of 
tied with 2015. Um, and a lot of that is driven because of some of the high lows. We haven't really had any really high highs um, this summer. This summer is actually from from a really uh, you know, intense heat perspective. There's not a lot of that. It's just it's just a just a consistent feeling of bleh. So um, I think I think a lot of us are going to be glad to see uh, the seasons change. But uh, yeah, it's uh, persistence is best right now. And, uh, you know, just uh, enjoying it. Back to you, Scotty. Thank you for that report, Jared. We appreciate it. I, though, um, I, I'm not ready for summer to leave. As you guys know, I'm a big summertime fan. But I wanted to ask you, uh, the old saying here in the, at least Western North Carolina, and James can chime in if he wants to, and maybe even Chris. Chris may have heard this. The old wives' tale is for every foggy morning in August, there's going to be a snow event. And uh, we've had quite a few uh, snow or foggy mornings uh, here in Western North Carolina. Do you guys have that wives' tale down in, in your neck of the woods? Have you ever heard of that? I, I think there's a wives' tale for just about anything. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people have it. Um, you know, I've, I've been getting a ton of messages about the uh, Farmer's Almanac. They come out, well, it was a couple of days ago and uh, said it's going to be a you know, cold and snowy winter ahead for the southeast. And, and my inbox on Facebook has just absolutely exploded. Uh, and, and that's a good uh, good little promo there because we're going to have them on with us in October. James, did you have something? <laughs> it is. I've heard it. Numerous people have asked me. They said, oh, another, uh, another snowy day because of another foggy morning in August. So we'll have to see. I haven't been keeping up with how many foggy mornings there, but there are some people, and they'll let me know if, if it comes true. So, all right, enough talk about snow. Let's talk about the, the real uh weather that's going on right now and it could start to really uh get active in the tropical atlantic and gulf of mexico so let's bring in shay gibson this evening with shay's tropical update shay thank you scotty i'm gonna go ahead and share a screen we'll get uh we'll get to talking about the tropics so really what's going on right now is the nhc only has one area that we're watching and this wave has not quite come off the african coast yet but it's giving it a pretty high percentage. It started out, it was only 30% as of last night, right in through this morning till the 8 a.m. update. Then it went up to 10.50. Now it's up to a 40.70. So 40% chance next 48 hours and 70% chance next five days. Next storm name is going to be Florence. So flow for short, kiss my grits, uh, if you uh, remember that show. But uh, either way, the um, the chance for this to develop just off the African coast is, is um, given pretty high simply because there is a warm pool of water. We've had a lot of talk about the sea surface temperatures being cooler than normal in that area. And if we take a look at, um, let me go ahead and take a look at sea surface temperatures. This is the NASA Sport and SST. We see this warm pool to the south. We see this anomalously cool body of water just to the north. And it looks like the intertropical convergence zone is starting to sort of fill in over time as we get into late summer. This is the Cape Verde season, and this is about where where the Cape Verde Islands are, this is about where storms are going to start originating from. The tropical waves coming off of Africa are a little bit more powerful. They're amplified a little bit more further north along the intertropical convergence zone because they're just north of the monsoonal trough that feeds the convection up from the south. So with that said, this warm pool of water may give this wave a pretty good uh, amount of convection to start with. Uh, the one thing that I, uh, and also the Saharan air layer, if you look at this, uh, these yellows and reds and purples, these, this is the heavier dust that comes off of the African desert. This is 
basically dust that is suspended at the mid levels around 500 millibars or 18,000 feet or so. And this tends to dry out storms, but we see that it's really weakening. So there's going to be a sort of a relaxing of what's called the SAL or the Saharan air layer over this area. Now we look at tropical storm or tropical cyclone heat potential. The magic number here is 20 kilojoules per centimeter squared, which basically translates to these blues, this area where the, where the blue is off the African coast. This is a marginal zone for tropical development or what we call cyclogenesis to sort of, um, it, 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 this is a representation of how much heat potential there is at the surface in the water, how warm the water is, how deep that, that water is warm, uh, and how much fueling it's going to have basically from the surface. And uh, this is rather marginal. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised NHC is giving it such a high percentage, but at the same time, uh, we have seen a lot of interesting things happen in this part of the world where uh, storms that are have been unfavored or favored to be weaker end up being stronger. So I think we, we may be seeing a different trend there. And uh, so we'll continue to watch it, but that's basically it. The, um, the track does start to take it up to the west-northwest. Eventually, I think the Bermuda Azores high that is gonna be the steering current for this thing initially is gonna break down. We're gonna see this storm sort of cut up through the middle. It's gonna break into two lobes. We'll get a front coming through, some low pressures out over the North Atlantic. And then um, this storm is favored to sort of drift to the north and be a fish storm. So I don't think this is going to make it all the way across the Atlantic. Well, I'll just have to wait and see what happens uh, elsewhere. Let me go ahead and talk a little bit about, uh, here's that wave again coming off of Africa, rather impressive on the convection. We go a little bit further to the west, we have this other wave that's being watched right now. And this is over the uh, Windward and Leeward Islands right now. It's heading towards Lesser Antilles over towards San Juan, Puerto Rico. Not very organized at all. In fact, you can see the shear where the cloud tops are being blown off to the northeast. We can see that a little bit better with visible infrared imagery. Uh, in this frame right here, you can see the cloud tops really being pulled off to the north and to the northeast. That's from upper shear going on across this area. So that's going to be very limiting in uh, any kind of development for this tropical wave. But the Euro has been on this for some time. So we saw a stronger signal of the Euro coming across Southern Florida in time. And we can see that here. If we look over off of the coast of Florida here by Tuesday next week, we see a little bit of a, an area of low pressure developing just south of the Northern Gulf Coast. And that's on Wednesday. As we get into Thursday, we see this area of low pressure moving into Louisiana. Now, the last two runs before, this is the 12 o'clock PM run today, the last two runs before this, had a little bit stronger in developing over Southern Florida and over the Tampa Bay area, and really maybe making a, 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 an attempt to get to tropical depression, maybe in tropical storm status before hitting the coastline, but we're seeing it weaken now. And the GFS is not seeing anything at all. So we have to keep that into account when we talk about tropical systems, that getting far out in time, a week to 10 days, uh, with only one major model seeing one thing and the other one not seeing anything at all, then we have to start looking at ensembles and other information to determine if that, that data is going to actually verify. So we'll have to wait and see. The Euro is, is a great model, uh, but we don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket. So the NHC has not circled this tropical wave yet because they're just not entirely sure of it. Uh, we'll know in a couple of days, once it makes it through this area of upper shear, as it goes a little bit further west towards the Bahamas, we may see the atmosphere become more conducive for it. And then that point, we may see something pop up on the map. So other than, otherwise, um, that's it for the tropics. As we get into next week, uh, the models are suggesting that a little bit more activity coming off of Africa may have some chances for development as well. We'll have to wait and see. I don't think there's going to be a big roll off of a, of a number of storms. I think we'll have one or two uh, trickle through the next uh, three days to seven days. 
we may see some more developments. But other than that, we're doing okay. Uh, the peak of the season, I do want to remind. In fact, I, I definitely wanted to share a screen one more time. Let me go to Mike's weather page, our buddy Mike Boylan. He's going to be coming on with us uh, September the 12th, I believe. Um, whoops, wrong one. I want to remind everyone that our hurricane season is we are starting on our up, basically our uptick towards the peak of the season, which is on or near September the 10th. So we're, we're in our typically more active portion of the season right now. And so just because uh, we don't have much going on doesn't mean we let our guards down. Have a plan, have an evacuation plan, have your, uh, have your hurricane kit, uh, have everything you need in order to survive if uh, anything were to happen because you never know what can happen between now and even at the end of September and even in October, we've had some significant impacts from hurricanes in October as well. Uh, so uh, just some food for thought, but I'll pass this back to you, Scotty, and we'll get our guests on and uh, we'll start talking about mycoast.org. All right, thank you for that, Shay. There's a couple of things I noticed. Um, I've seen the, with the latest update, the NHC actually put that at 60% or greater development off of uh, Africa. I know it was like 40% earlier today. So uh, I did see that update just come out as you popped it up. So I found that a little bit interesting. So yeah, let's bring in our guests tonight. We have on with us Chris Ray and Wesley Shaw from mycoast.org. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to uh, the Carolina Weather Group. Happy to have you this evening. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, guys, um, I stumbled across your website a couple of months ago and was looking through it and uh, saw your information. I was like, man, this would be a great uh, show to have on the Carolina Weather Group. And uh, we're happy to have you. So my first question to you guys, and maybe uh, a question that a lot of our listeners or followers may have, is exactly what is mycoast.org and what do you guys do? So I'm going to start talking. I, I will let you know ahead of time that our usual way of handling these things is I start to talk and then Chris runs over me. So at some point, he's going to interject <laughs> himself into this. Uh, no worries. No worries. <laughs> so uh, I'll start. The easiest way to explain what we are is to, 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 uh, is to describe where we started, which is uh, a whole bunch of years ago, back in uh, 2006, 2008, I was in Massachusetts um, on a NOAA fellowship there, a coastal management fellowship. And I was working in the Office of Coastal Zone Management there, and I started working with part of their storm reporting team. And this is a group of people who would go out after coastal events, usually nor'easters, and report back in what they'd found. The idea being that it would help, uh, help emergency response figure out where they needed to send their resources. And uh, it worked well. Um, back then, it was a lot of just calling in from your cell phone. And then after I left there, uh, they, they approached me and said, hey, do you think we could do a web-based tool like this? So that started us working on what became a web-based storm damage reporting tool. And while we were refining that, South Carolina got a hold of us back in the end of 2011 and said, we, we'd like to track storm damage, but we're also really interested in tracking king tides. Um, it's something we're having more and more of, a, of an issue with. And for, for any of your, I, I bet most of your listeners are, are familiar with king tides, but just real quickly, a king tide is a, is a non-scientific term. It's for an unusually high tide. So it's what uh, it's, it's become increasingly common. I think it originated in Australia, then went to California and then came over this direction. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, again, it's not scientific. So it's something that a state says generally, this is what we're calling a king tide. So when the water gets this high, this is when we want you to go out and get information. Where were these tides? Where were these impacts happening? Like, was it in particular parts of town? Like, Charleston was obviously a big focus for them, for uh, South Carolina, DHEC. 
but also they, they wanted, in addition to getting the information flowing to DHEC, they wanted to be able to use it as an outreach tool to encourage people to get more involved in King Tides, to realize, hey, this is happening more and more frequently, so we can start to have some conversations about sea level rise and how we might adapt to that in the future. Um, so from that, we, so we had reporting, we had storm reporting, and we had king tides, and then it branched out from there into all sorts of different things. And we realized that what people wanted was a really flexible way to report all sorts of coastal events. So we expanded the tool, turned it into a, a, just a, a really uh, an easy way to, an easy thing to customize for other things. So we have people in different parts of the country uh, reporting on things like creosote piles that are out there, abandoned boats is a big thing actually in South Carolina and elsewhere. Um, and uh, we're monitoring beach changes and beach cleanups, all sorts of different things. So it's a, it's a one-stop shop for people to be able to report on what they're finding out on the coast. And the, the data flows then from the, the users to the states. Chris, that's the longest you've ever let me talk without interrupting me, I think. You're, you're fine until you start talking about computers, Wes. <laughs> so the, the, the rough arrangement we have here is, is that um, I... I I do more of the designy and and working with people stuff, and Chris does more of the the, the typing stuff to to insult him a little bit. <laughs> so we have we've got a website and uh, iOS app and an Android app as well, um, and uh, it's uh, it's being used. South Carolina is one of our our big hotspots. New England is our our other biggest one. Um, Massachusetts is still a big heavy user, and Rhode Island's been really um, picking up as well. And it's a neat mix of. Uh, sort of ongoing things like king tides that happen pretty often, and then uh, we get huge spikes in traffic during major storms. Yeah, so go ahead, Shay. Oh, I was just I was just going to ask. We, we talk about uh, higher than normal tides, right? So um, you know, for some folks on the coastline, the, the tide differences are you know, they can be two to three feet, or they can be like for South Carolina, we're about six feet, six to seven, and you get down into Jekyll Island, Georgia, that's like the highest point in the southeast, so around eight feet. Uh, that's from mean low water all the way to mean high water. You know, the, the big column of water that, that ebbs and flows each day. Um, so when we talk about our, our normal tides into the coastline and what mycoast.org is doing, are we now seeing a trend upwards with the tides actually getting higher? Or are we just seeing the sea level rising and making the tides higher on top of that? Hi. Uh well, I think that there, there are several things. I mean, you guys have, we have sea level rise and you have, you have some pretty good relative sea level rise there too with some subsidence um, in, in your part of the country. Uh, so we're seeing, I think, an increased awareness of more stuff is getting reported, but also higher tides as your relative sea levels uh, continue to rise. Um, you guys, as you know, in the mid-Atlantic, you're getting a pretty big hit from, uh, from what I understand. And you guys are, sound like you're meteorologists and oceanography types. Um, it sounds like the collapse of the, the slowing of the Gulf Stream is going to slop some more water your direction and make your your uh, your relative tides go up more quickly than other parts of the country. Gotcha. And so for our viewers, there's that there are a few folks that I always get asked: Are our tides higher at full moon or new moon? And so I tend to think our our perigee and spring tides or our higher than normal tides tend to be higher for your king tide charts uh, during the new moon phase. Correct? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I would ask Chris, but I'm guessing he's snickering over there because he definitely doesn't know. Yeah, you would um, just do that to be mean. <laughs> uh, this is one of those examples where um, we, because the, the states are, are making the determinations on what are their king tides, uh, we say, OK, we'll, you know, we'll help you announce that this, this tide is out there and we'll document all the data. But we're, one neat thing about this project is that we are, we are amassing a pretty good 
data set, um, that would be interesting to go back and, and ask those sorts of questions of it because we have the predicted tides and then we have what actually happened. Um, and uh, that was one of the, the reasons that they wanted to launch this um, in uh, Massachusetts was the National Weather Service up there was interested in a similar thing, which is how much are our models correctly predicting where the water's going during storm events. So we think it's going to hit here. Is that actually where it ends up slopping all around or did, did it show up somewhere else? So um, we, for all of this, um, uh, we are, we consider ourselves sort of a, a conduit of the information. So when people come to us for the data and say, hey, what, what does the data say? We check with the states and generally the states say, sure, absolutely share this data widely. And it's led to some interesting um, studies, including I think uh, there was a, a project put together by a guy at UC Berkeley who was trying to, you know, Chris, did, did you want to take over here before I start talking computer stuff? Well, unfortunately, the computer stuff they were doing was way above my head, but th mm -hmm. they had a model for predicting kind of, um, you know, the the level of uh, inland water is is reasonably well known um, from tide gauges and what have you. But what what's harder to know is how it kind of slops around in towns and what have you. And so they were working on uh, models to, to predict very regional kind of street by street flooding in towns and uh, they had a very complicated model that I don't understand to do this um, and they were looking for data to ground truth that model and so we worked with them to ground truth that model and published a paper about it we can share I don't know if you have a way of sharing things after the fact but we can we can share that paper it's very interesting and um, but yes they used all our data set to work out whether their model was right or not yeah, I think there's this one I'm showing on screen, maybe a slosh model version 2.0, I believe. Jared, I know we've, we've used that one before. This is sort of a this is sort of a go to. This is the uh, ET Surge 2.2. But there's other slosh models and things that uh, definitely use for tracking overall height and verification of forecasts. But uh, Scotty, go ahead. You had uh, you wanted to chime in. Yeah. So so, Chris, you and Wesley, uh, I know you guys are, are doing this, but you formed partnerships. You'd already mentioned with South Carolina. Uh, a few uh, states up in the Northeast. Talk to us a little bit about how how those states or maybe emergency management departments or um, um, coastal planning departments uh, kind of uh, work with you guys. Um, it varies a lot state by state. Um, South Carolina, by far, the, what they're most interested in is, is king tide flooding. Um, but what's probably a more interesting interaction with us is Massachusetts emergency management. Unfortunately, I think, Wes, you are the best person to talk about this, having hey. been in their emergency management building. <laughs> uh, so I, the Massachusetts, when they have a major storm event, um, they, in their emergency operations center, keep my coast running on a screen so that we have a, a special page with the states can see, which lets the reports stream through. So on, when we first started going with this, they'd get an email every time a report came in. But now on a busy storm day, they'll get hundreds of reports a day coming in, all with bunches of different photos. So what they do is they sit in the, in the EOC, watch reports stream through, see, they can look on the map, go, okay, here's spots where people have reported damage. And almost as useful for them is here are the spots where people aren't reporting damage. So maybe we know we don't need to worry about the, the, the southern facing part of, of the Cape that, that part totally defined Buzzards Bay and whatever. It's really the north part of the Cape that got hammered. Um, and there's a way to sort of search through by almost any parameter later. So if they want to see, you know, what sort of damage did we get where, um, they can really drill down into it. And um, we've, we're, we've been working more recently on figuring out how to, um, uh, I guess, improve our game with, with making the, the data more useful. Right now, it works really well as a... Um, as a data repository 
that then the state can download easily all the data as a CSV and then toss it into their GIS system to, to run an analysis afterwards. But during the actual storm event, again, it's, it's mostly they're just keeping track of, okay, this is spots where people have reported damage and these are spots where people have not reported damage. Um, it's, it's probably worth adding at this point that um, the majority of our reports come in via the mobile app. O originally, we made this mobile app as a sort of companion to the website, which was our main thing. And then now, like 90% of the reports come in through the mobile app and nobody ever looks at the website except the people who are consuming the reports on the... Yeah. Um, um, we also have a couple of things that are useful in the storm situations where you can send out... You, you can't see it on the website because you're, you're just logged in as a normal person. But uh, um, if you're a kind of state administrator person, you can look on the map as to where users are running the MyCoast app, and you can then send out push notifications to very tight geographical areas. So you can say, like, you know, we've, we've seen damage here. We're concerned about damage here. Can anyone who's near there go and check now? That, that was going to be my next question. You guys obviously have the website, but also an app. So... Uh, run with us what, what your app does, what folks can do on that app and, and how they can send that information to you guys and also state officials who are tracking this during um, big time events. Yep, the, the app is pretty simple, really. I mean, when you crank it up, it'll show uh, some local weather information. It shows high tides and low tides for where you are. I was joking that like, even if even if your state isn't signed up to use Mycos as a data platform, you can still use this app to work out when you should build sandcastles. Um, but it's basically, it'll appear, there's all that data at the top. You get a big add report button at the bottom. And when you hit that, um, depending on what state you're in, you'll see various different form types. And those will be things like king tide, storm damage, abandoned boat, that kind of thing. You click on one of them, it'll say, you know, take a picture or pick one from your library. And, and you do that. And, and depending on the state you're in and the thing you're filling in, it'll ask you some questions. For king tide, it's almost nothing. Um, and then it works out where you are. Um, and then you hit submit and the thing you know, goes and uploads. And if, if you're offline because the power is down or whatever, then it just does it later on once you've got a data connection. Um, and then once it gets to our server, we retrieve a bunch, bunch of other information. So we retrieve uh, title info about uh, uh, the time of the report, and we retrieve weather info. And depending on, again, state by state, they want to display different things on the report. And depending on what they want to display, you can then see that on the report and then they, it appears in all this kind of searchable stuff and it also we post them to there's a facebook account and a twitter account that we post to if you if you use twitter for emergency management which a lot of people do now of course so, so we talked about abandoned boats uh what is the significance of uh the abandoned boat report tell us a little bit about this i see a lot in south carolina oh man you also see that bug where we get the two zooming things i noticed <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's a more complicated process. Wes, you, you could take that one. Well, well, this is something that where uh, the DHEC, South Carolina DHEC, was, was interested in tracking boats because they are, now I need to be careful, they have some role in uh, tracking and removal of the boats. And obviously, removing the boats is, a, is an expensive process, and you've got to figure out who owns it and make sure that it's, it's clear to be owned. But what they said is that, um, you know, we uh, we are getting these reports. We just have sort of a, a loose way that people report these boats. Um, we would like to have it in sort of one centralized database. And this way, people who are out and about can say, hey, this boat's been here for forever. They, all they have to do is take a picture of it and upload it. Um, the app, as you can imagine, it grabs your location. So there's very little data to fill out. And uh, that ends up in, in their library. So later they can, um, you know, as funds are available from them or from somebody else, they can strategically figure out, okay, we have enough money to remove three boats. 
let's look at our whole subset of votes we've got out there. And I think it, it also, I, I'm guessing that it also works well as an engagement tool to allow people to feel like they're, because they are participating in the process of um, reporting problems that they've got. Wes and I have decided that if we ever give up on this business, the abandoned boats is is where we're going to go and clear out because there's some lots of really quite nice boats that yes. are on this. <laughs> yeah, there's one missing there. I need to get to you guys on Bali Beach too. So I'll, I'll, if I can remember to do that, I'll get it over to you. Great. Uh, you guys have multi-state coalition in on this. Tell us about how they all work together to um, to come up with some of the coastal resiliency efforts. I mean, I know each state has its own laws and regulations as far as the waterways are concerned, but how do you guys help connect everyone together on the same page? Uh, I'll take a first stab at this, Chris, which is that the, the states are often in contact with one another already through various coastal states organizations and, and things like that. So uh, a lot of, I think it, it, a lot of ideas start with one state and then they talk to another state and it sort of flows around nicely. And one good thing about working with multiple states is that when a state says, hey, we've got this great idea, like abandoned boats, we can put together everything. We can work with that state and uh, then we can offer it to the, our other states who are working with us. Then they don't have to do any particular work. If they like how South Carolina put it together, then um, they can just pick it up and run with it. Similarly, uh, like the, the storm damage reporting tool was something that Massachusetts said, hey, this is something that, that we think would be really useful for us. And it turns out other states have, have jumped on that. So it's uh, the, the states we so with our model, again, like we, we very much view the data as belonging to the state. So um, states have a lot of control over the data. Chris mentioned that there are the, the uh, things are posted to Twitter and to Facebook. Some states have permissions turned on for that where they want to review everything first before they, they go any further. So states can hold stuff internally. If there's a, a storm damage report or that doesn't look right or something and they want to review it before it goes public and before it goes on Facebook or whatever, that's fine. So they maintain total control over all that stuff. But for the most part, what we've seen is especially through uh, through federal agencies, in particular NOAA, the states are really interested in sharing their data widely. They know they have problems. They want to see what other states are, are uh, doing with this and also what other problems they're, they're facing. So uh, from, from, what, from what we find, uh, most of the time when we when a new state contacts us, it's because they've been talking to another state and thought, this is a great idea. Let, let's see if we can get this over here. I was uh, looking through a few of our viewer questions. Um, you, you were just talking about the states. Uh, Brooke Figgins was wanting to know, is there a list of states that use MyCoast? And if not, it sounds like North Carolina needs to use it when a hurricane is coming our way. So do you guys, I know we talked about South Carolina. Uh, you talked about a few um, states in the Northeast, but is there other states maybe in the Gulf or maybe even on the West Coast that, that utilize uh, MyCoast? So we've been working with a, I think at this point, there are a few states we haven't talked to, at least peripherally um, through the years. And uh, it, it, what we need at each state level is sort of a, a local, I, I know this term is cliche now, but a local champion type who is someone at an agency who says, hey, um, we, need, we should do this. And uh, the, one of the reasons why that's so important is what we don't want to create is a system where people create reports and they just disappear off into the void. We, I mean, we want people who are using the app to know this. I'm taking this. I'm putting this effort out to report this thing. It's going to somebody who's going to review it. So um, we've we found sort of little pet projects down in the Gulf of Mexico. And we've worked with um, all five of the states a little bit down there. Um, we're still, I think, trying to find the right hook for each one of them. They're, they don't 
so far from what we see, they're, they're not talking about king tides as much uh, outside of Florida, which is obviously dealing with them a lot in, in, uh, in the southern part of Florida. Uh, and um, we're working conveniently enough up in the state of Washington with one county. And it looks like it's going to expand out statewide in, in, in Washington as well. Um, so there's the, the list there's uh, on the on the homepage. There's a menu that sort of gives shows you which states uh, currently are active. But we're always we're always talking to other states. So um, I think you will likely see other states come online in the next year or two. That that's some good news for you guys. Um, speaking of the app and and how people can use it, how have you guys prom promoted your app to folks in South Carolina or Florida or, or New Hampshire? Um, uh, how is that? What have you used to to kind of push that out for folks to uh, to kind of sign up for? So th this is uh, this is a, a tricky topic for us because um, because with this the, the states really are the the front facing part of this in each um, in each state. So in South Carolina, it's really DHEC, and our understanding with them are uh, is that um, the the users and the information are, are all there. So we don't send out email blast saying, hey, come do this because we're great. Um, we really want to make sure that the, the states feel like they have a product that they have control over and they can contact all their users however they want to. So what usually happens at each state is there's a state agency that runs with it, often the Coastal Zone Management Agency, um, like DHEC or Massachusetts Office of Coastal Zone Management. Um, sometimes it's it's a nonprofit. Save the Bays up in, in Rhode Island has been really active with it. Uh, but it's we work with the partners rather than doing the, the, the outreach. We... we um, we work with them on what they want. If they want, uh, you know, if they want a nice brochure or something, we can absolutely put together a nice brochure for them or if they want a video or something else. Uh, but we, we rely on the, the, uh, the, the good, the good names of the, of the agencies that we work with in the individual States to be a known entity versus us just sort of floating around from the Pacific Northwest. Where so, it's 59 degrees right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is there, I, I know we were talking about, states here is there a state or a couple of states that kind of surpass the, the states that you guys use that are, are active users or is it kind of even on on all of the states uh so that as the, I mean, the the largest number of, of reports that we have um are from massachusetts because they've just been doing it the longest and um they've had a few huge events uh they've had a couple they've had a few really big storms also, there have been a few times, one time in particular when um, this is actually a perfect example of someone else doing outreach. We didn't help this happen, but someone decided that they really wanted to promote the King Tide. So they got my coast mentioned in the Boston Globe and the New York Times. And all of a sudden we just had hundreds of reports coming in. And we were we thought, <laughs> where, where, how, what, how does this happen? And then later found out what had happened. Uh, so there are a lot from there. And then South Carolina is, is our, our second biggest partner. And um and then, yeah, th those, they're mostly, as Chris said, with the, the King Tides, but um, uh, that's, we, we are, uh, yeah, we're still trying to figure out the best way uh, to help, help South Carolina out when a big storm comes through, because we know you guys get those too. The, the past few years, it seems like you've gotten a lot of rain events, which is something we're looking into more. One of the things that the, uh, that the site does, Chris mentioned it fetches data. One of the important things that it fetches is, uh, rainfall that calendar day and over the past 24 hours, which came up because uh, people would submit pictures during king tides of flooded streets in Charleston, for example, and it would have turned out that it, it had rained super hard for the you know the three hours before that, so it wasn't easy to tell that what the whole story of that flooding was. Um, but now, when you pull up a report and with king tide report, you'll see that that sort of data in there. 
Jared, that's something you guys are, are working with as well down in Charleston, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We just uh, completed a, uh, a very successful hackathon this weekend uh, called the Charleston Flood, Floods Hack uh, in association with the College of Charleston Computer Science Program and the uh, South Carolina Sea Grant Consortium. Um, be announcing uh, winners and runner-ups on that uh, in the next couple days. And... Um, and, and there's a big reporting component to it. There's a, there's a real need for um, accurate and vetted information uh, to help people make decisions on, um, you know, what to do about, you know, should I move my car? Should I, uh, should I come downtown this day? You know, what, what's it going to do later? Is it, you know, is stuff going to be impassable? Um, the city of Charleston is working on a system called FloodCon. Uh, it is a uh, kind of an early warning system working with the National Weather Service, incorporating their data. And um, I see my coast, I mean, certainly playing a role. I use it. Um, I haven't had much to report. I usually end up staying dry. I usually never see anything. Everybody just sends everything to me. But it's certainly a, um, it, it's certainly a very uh, important thing that, you know, we need a lot of reports from this. And uh, it, it's nice to see that y'all are... Uh, you know, doing a good job getting that. I try to, you know, Shay and I try to retweet you guys every every time we can. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of different efforts going on right now down here to make that, uh, you know, to to really understand what's happening. There's uh, changes going on. the The city has been installing check valves um, in the drainage. So on non rainy days, if it's raining, this isn't going to help. But on non rainy days. Uh, the um, check valves will inflate. And the idea is, is that it will keep the king tide water out of the drainage or at least slow it down um, to keep some of these streets that are normally major issues dry. So there's a lot of interesting things going on. And um, I would love to see the rain report stuff get worked in. I, th- I think that is super important because that is the, that's a kind of like, that's about as close as we get to a flash flood here. Um, so it, it it's all it, it's all really um, you know it, it's all becoming a you know a major issue. It's really coming to a head in uh, this year's election. So, which is kind of interesting to see. Uh, everyone's really kind of uh, coming to a head with this, uh, to put it mildly. So lots of solutions flying around right now. Shay, I think you had a viewer question. Yes, we had uh, Marcus and Trees asked, uh, can you add this? Now, this is kind of a geek question for you guys. I don't know if you're familiar with ArcGIS. Can you add this to ArcGIS World Layer so we can add this to our EOC map to see the data? Chris, that's that, for you. Yeah, that is an interesting <laughs> question. So the, the honest answer right now is no, but we just became an ArcGIS startup partner. Uh, and so it's something that we've thought about doing for a long time. Truthfully, the cost of ArcGIS has been a bit prohibitive for us, but um, we are going to look into do something like that soon. Is that non-committal enough? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's. I think that's just fine. I think yeah, there, uh... it's, it's definitely our list of things to do. It's a little more complicated than the other things on our list of things to do, but that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't do it. Well, I have a couple, two more questions for you guys, and, and also. Um let the panelists, if you guys have any questions, let um, we can get to them. Um, one of my questions, kind of short and sweet, is how, how does the National Weather Service utilize this information? Or do they? Do they kind of, are they in contact with you guys to use this maybe as hurricanes or tropical systems approach? 
So the, the, the closest contact I've had with them has been up in Massachusetts in the, the Taunton office. And uh, they, uh, they were using it to, to ground truth their, their predictions. Um, and uh, I, from what I understand, they're still continuing to do that. But that's one of those things that seems to be that mostly goes through the, the state. The state works with them. So they, they get the data from the state and then do what they do uh, with it after that. But it would be. You know, it's a good reminder. I should reach back out to them and see if, if we can tweak anything to make it more useful for them. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure specifically what beyond that. All righty. Well, um, I have one last question. Do any of you guys have anything before I ask the, the last question? All right. I see nothing. Uh, so basically, what what does the future look like for mycoast.org? What are, what are the goals maybe – from now to the end of the year, maybe now, two years from now, five years from now, uh, what what does it look like for your guys' future for mycoast.org? <laughs> this is where Chris doesn't jump in, right? Okay. <laughs> you can go for this one. <laughs> well, this is I, government, I, so nothing happens in the next six months. <laughs> uh, so at, at, a, at a sort of a superficial, easier level, um, we just recently redid the design of the, the app, um, which took some work and I think it looks hugely better. And it was another example of, um, it's good to hire a designer. You might think, you know how to, sorry, we might think we know how to design stuff and make it look okay. But when we got the first mock-ups back from the designer, we realized how awful we were at design stuff. So the app looked much better. We're gonna do a similar sort of treatment for the website to sort of get it up to, up to grade where it matches the, the quality of the, the app. Um, as Chris mentioned, we spend most of our time playing with the app because the app is what most people spend most of their time playing with. But the website is an important part of it. So um, that that is something I would like to see done in, in the next uh, next six months or so, because it, it'll take some work, but it'll be worth it. Uh, we have, a, an, as I mentioned, we have a number of states we're in the process of, of talking with. And it, it's, it's one of those things where everything moves very slowly, which is fine. Um, we've got some grants in the works, too, to expand out in different parts. Um, we're... And I guess, yeah, the other big thing would be that thing that Chris mentioned with the uh, working with the uh, the Esri GIS platform. Um, that's something we would really like to see happen. It's just, it's a good chunk of work. And um, I feel like increasingly we're aware that it is, it's worth the work because more and more states are asking for it. Um, and Esri has been pressuring us to do it too because they would like us to be a partner with them. Uh, and uh, so I, I won't put a, a, a deadline on that. Um, other than that, we're, we're just going to keep chipping away at it, continue to refine it. It's now, it's a pretty mature product now. I mean, in the first few years, it's, we didn't have any massive ca catastrophic explosions, but there were definitely some days that were dicier than others. Shut up, and, Wes. <laughs> but now, now uh, the, the site doesn't generally go down in the end. Uh, the, the apps work fine and, and thankfully to the way I will give Chris some credit here, the way he coded it, where it saves your data, even if you lose your connection and everything else goes wrong, you don't lose photos and you don't lose any of the, the critical information that, that, that has made it a much more uh, comfortable project to work with because if the server blows up, everything's still safe on people's phones so that the data eventually does get to the States um, and everybody's happy. Um, Chris, do you have any goals you want to share? No, I think it's good. I mean, it really is just we're trying to expand it out to more states. It's one of those things that once it's the thing that everyone uses, it becomes a lot simpler. Very good. I have um, one last question for you guys. And, and this is um, our viewers watching. For John Q. Public that's watching this tonight, what is your best advice to them going forward? If they've never heard of mycoast.org or they've never tried to da download the app, what do you suggest they do? Like, what, what is 
what are they, they're going to download the app and then what do they do? So it should tell you, it has some instruction on it, but what's the best advice you can give? Yeah, I would say if they're in a state that is uh, working with us, so that, that you know, to give the full list, uh, Wes, correct me where I'm wrong, is South Carolina, Washington, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and then that that's it right now. <laughs> um, then they should just install the app. If you search for MyCoast on your app store, um, it requires you to log in, but it just needs a username and a password and your name. That's it. Um, and then you hit add reports. And if you don't add a report, nothing bad's going to happen. So you can see, you know, you'll see the reports that are available in your state. You can go through the reports all the way to the last page where it says submit and don't submit it. And that's fine. Um, but yeah, just play with it. And the app has a certain amount of use to it anyway. Like it tells you stuff about lo local tides and weather and things. So um, we, we, one of the goals we, we had for it was that it, it was going to be something people would occasionally just load up anyway, even if they didn't have reports to make. So it's kind of useful. It looks nicer than the website, as Wes said. <laughs> right. So get out there and take pictures and uh, send it in because your pictures are extremely helpful. I mean, if you go to the beach after a storm and the dunes are cut, there's trees laid up everywhere. Uh, any kind of damage to any of the, the walkways that go out over the dunes, anything like that, it's all helpful. So. Um, likewise, I'll just quickly stick in that one of the things we do in South Carolina is this Adopt a Beach program where um, you can ad adopt a beach and then you go out and clean it. And we have a pretty nice part of the app where you click on pieces of trash as you found it. And it makes these nice heat maps showing where all the trash is on the beach. And so they used to do all this for paper, but now that they have the latitude and longitude of everything, they can work out where to put trash cans based on the location of all the cigarette butts and things. So if you're in South Carolina or Florida, um, then you can use it for tracking beach cleanup stuff too. Okay. Plug for Surf Rotter Foundation. That's off to you guys for being a big help with that. Okay. Up back to you, Scotty. Thank you, Shay. That's pretty cool information. Well, guys, uh, we'll, we'll kind of come to a close here. Um, how can our followers, uh, followers or listeners follow you guys on social media? Maybe plug your website once more in your app, uh, how we can download it. Uh, yeah, so the website is just mycoast.org. Um, Twitter is mycoast.org, one word. Somebody else got mycoast. Um, and on Facebook, you'll just have to search for mycoast. I can't quite remember what the, the short name for it is there. The, the interesting thing about following us on Twitter is you'll see all the storm and, and king tide and whatever else reports coming in because they're automatically posted to that feed. Um, do I get to ask you a question? Sure, yeah, go ahead. So I have a six-year-old child um, who said to me the other day that he'd been doing the water cycle at, in kindergarten. Uh, and if the, if the water is carried off the sea by the sun, then why doesn't it rain more in summer? Why doesn't it rain more in summer? Well, yeah, because oh, the water is all being lifted up off the sea by the sun. So I said I'm on a podcast with some meteorologists. <laughs> well, it depends on where you are. I mean, that 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 moisture is lifted up and transported into the coast a lot, and it precipitates a sea in the sea breeze line inland. So a lot of folks inland get more than enough rain, whereas folks along the immediate coast sometimes don't get as much. Uh, and that's that's pretty spotty all around. So that moisture comes down somewhere. Um, it, it depends on your water temperature, your air temperature, your evaporative processes, which way the upper level winds are going. So a lot of times on the East Coast, we have west to east. I'm sorry. Yes, west to east uh, transport of that. And if it's too dry loft, it just won't it won't do anything. Uh, but a lot of times 
we get that sea breeze line along the coastline and uh, that's where we see a lot of the moisture. So where we would typically in some cases have drought situations, we tend to get these coastal counties inland getting their fair share of the rain. So there, there's one answer. It's kind of a partial answer, but uh, a lot of it gets bottled up into the, the land and sea interface. Oh, okay. Add on to it, mid-level cap and also, uh, you know, you get the, uh, you get a, a nice, a nice solid cap on the atmosphere and that prevents any kind of updraft from penetrating through that layer and uh, really, you know, really being able to blossom into a nice big thunderstorm. And that's something we run into, especially in Southeast a lot in the Midwest in the, uh, I guess, late spring, early summer. Yeah, it absolutely drives the humidity levels higher than anywhere in the country. It's awful. I was just going to say magic, so I'm glad you guys knew the answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's why we have like you know, 80, you know, 75% humidity on, on all of these days where the heat indices, you could have 95 degrees and the heat index, heat index is like 110. You know, we get into the 100s, our heat indices drive up into the 120s. So especially Columbia and Atlanta, that's the hot spot. Absolutely. So, so where it's humid, that's preventing what would otherwise have been rain. Is that right? Yeah. Depends depends on the air mass over the area too. So there's there's a lot of physics that goes in with it. Maybe okay. another show, but yeah, there's um, I could get I could get your son some uh some maybe some pictures or something. I think that would be a good good place to start for him. That's a very interesting question from a six year old. <laughs> yeah, well, I was a complete failure, as you might have guessed. That's great, that's great. You know, it says a lot about where he might go in the future. So back to you, Scotty. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Chris and Wesley, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll pass out uh, mycoast.org stuff on our pages and social media um, followers. So maybe they can also download the app. And we uh, certainly appreciate having you guys on. And uh, good luck with uh, all the funding and getting some new states. And uh, if there's anything we can ever do for you, just give us a shout. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. We'll transition to our uh, tweet of the weeks. And uh, James has asked to go first because he got to give baby Theo a bottle. So, James, I'll let you go first with your tweet of the week. That's right. And this actually segues very nicely off of what Chris was just talking about because we met a lot of really smart six-year-olds or other young kids this weekend at the Weatherproof event. And you can see them here in front of our green screen. They came on over. Uh, I think Scotty was talking about this a little bit at the top of the show. Here are some photos to show you. We had... Um, you know, uh, visitors and family members coming on through. It was really great to see future meteorologists, uh, specifically in this realm, trying out the broadcast uh, part of the industry. Uh, we actually have a little video here that we will run. There's no particular sound on this clip, but we've got a bunch of these clips um, up on our YouTube page. You can see the kids trying out the forecast there in Gastonia, North Carolina. So uh, it was really just a great uh, day. We were very happy the museum invited us out. We hope that to do the event again next year, and uh, we will have uh, a special edition of the Carolina Weather Group podcast coming out in the next few weeks uh, that includes behind-the-scenes look at the day-long event. Uh, we interviewed some of the other folks who were there, including the National Weather Service. We even got a chance to go inside WBTV's Storm three chase vehicle i know scotty really enjoyed that so that's a little bit of a tease for you uh be sure to like and subscribe us uh, to learn when that episode uh is first delivered thanks scotty and james you and chris definitely jump in here there was some fantastic uh kids given weather forecasts i mean i was impressed uh, absolutely <laughs> there was a few kids i was like wow <laughs> they could be on tv right now the enthusiasm they had was was awesome and so 
uh, James was able to put it together a lot of those videos. So if you check out our Carolina Weather Group um, YouTube page, you can uh, download those except this one big kid who was doing the weather. That's right. That's right. There was one guy that was a little too old, but we let <laughs> him do it anyway. Uh, Scotty, you weren't too bad, but you got a little work to do. Yeah, I got, got some work to do with these kids. So. But yeah, it was a fun day. Definitely a fun day. And uh, again, thanks for all those who came out. Thanks to uh, the museum for inviting us out. And we look forward to uh, doing it again next year. So uh, let's see. Who's got anybody else got a tweet ready? Uh -oh, uh, is that Jared? Jared, go ahead. I see yours up. Yep. So it's that time of year again. We've got a new Ghost satellite, Ghost 17. And, uh, <laughs> and it started going over the uh, NOAA port, the Satellite Broadcast Network. And that means it's preliminary and non operational time once again. The National Weather Service in Podunk has uh, deputized 12 of their senior Skywarn spotters to find and arrest anyone who shares Go 17 images without the preliminary and non-operational disclaimer. So if you see a bunch of guys with Skywarn badges in which you would normally <laughs> laugh at them, um, you might want to take this a little bit more seriously, especially <laughs> around uh, Warm Goat Springs, um, where, uh, Warm you know, Goat Springs. <laughs> where a lot of the uh, uh, the Podunk's uh, Gus Nato's uh, so, and I hear that they have a capybara unit too. So and just, they have an Arby's. Don't forget yeah, Arby's. And they do have an Arby's. So <laughs> to refuel. So they got plenty of fuel out there, uh, roast beef sandwiches and uh, things of that nature. So again, it, it is preliminary and non-operational season. Um, 20 out of 24 hours a day. That ain't bad, right? Uh, on some of the uh, extra channels, but they've got it mostly. They've got go 17 mostly working. So that's a good sign. Um, but uh, yeah, you'll see a lot of that imagery out there again. Uh, not not nearly the excitement that perhaps came along with Go 16. We've kind of seen the advanced baseline imager before, but it will be nice to have this out in the West um, once it becomes operational. Hopefully later this year. I know they still have some kinks to work out with the ABI and the cooling system. Yes, exciting times. It, it seemed like we were just a couple of days late from seeing Lane on Go17. So, um, Shay, I think you have yours pulled up, so I'll let you go ahead. All right, sure. This actually goes back to uh, Chris's question about where does moisture from the ocean go and uh, summertime. <laughs> I immediately thought of this, that, and it's my own post. I don't, I don't typically like to do my own tweet of the week, but um, it kind of caught, caught uh, sparked the interest there from Chris's question. So, uh, this was a huge explosion that happened yesterday just south of Charleston off the Georgia coast. This has been an area of storming for several days now, so we always have to watch these areas. They can sometimes spawn homegrown systems of tropical nature, but there's so much shear. Uh, there's not a lot of activity to be uh, expected. But if we uh, we take a look, what, what happened here is large batch of thunderstorms released a lot of energy, which released what's called an outflow boundary. And so the outflow boundary is is also called the gust front and it propagates away from the storm now this may be seen as one of these famous shelf clouds that we tend to see here if and a lot of offshore fishermen uh, may have seen this out there with strong gusty winds behind it but if we go a little bit bigger see if i can fast forward this you can see one and then an, a second one coming in behind it so this is this is perpetual moisture lifting off the gulf stream along the florida hadras slope where it's warmer and uh rising to the atmosphere and then, uh, you know, sort of cycling back into the thunderstorm. So there's, there's a lot, uh, a lot to be said there. In fact, I think I had a closer up of this. Yeah. So this is a, a bigger blow up of it all, but you can see how fast that line comes. In fact, it, 
it comes it comes out the secondary comes out so fast it runs up along the backside of the initial outflow boundary which creates even more thunderstorms so a lot of times when these outflow boundaries collide we see a lot of explosion of activity we call it fireworks and uh it's cool when they when when they run into each other you see a bigger explosion but this was uh this was offshore yesterday so a lot lot of precipitation a lot of storming going on out there keeping an eye on it cool stuff shay i love the imagery out there it's just so cool to see go 16 at work so uh let's see i think chris chris has got his up so chris go ahead yeah mine uh, comes from john carmichael is actually a photographer uh, last year, he was able to capture the eclipse on board a Southwest 737. And uh, there's a little tweet here. Uh, you know, a year ago, millions came together and witnessed one of the most beautiful moments in history. My dream was to capture this from a unique view and to remind us of our place in the universe and to stay united in our humanity. thought that was a really awesome tweet. Let's see if I can get the picture here and flip it back over. How's that? You guys get that? That's uh, absolutely beautiful. That is. That's an awesome photo. <clears throat> Crazy stuff that that was happening this time last year, and then uh, we had Harvey happening this time last year. So a lot of things going on from a year ago. Peter, do you have one? Yeah, I do. Uh, this was uh, up in Maine today. A nice shelf cloud over a lake up there, and uh, I didn't realize I wasn't home all day today. Uh, there was a pretty nasty storm up in Maine uh, that prompted two hours of continuous tornado warnings. And uh, there was, like, rotation for 60 miles. So uh, pretty nasty stuff. And uh, let me blow up that picture again. This is a pretty nice shelf cloud there. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know that was going on up there today. That's with that cold front approaching. And I'm sure all this heat and humidity is not helping the situation because everything's blowing up. But, uh, yeah, that was the excitement over there in Maine. And uh, National Weather Service is going to go investigate it tomorrow. Um, but it was in an area where nobody is around. So we'll see what they say tomorrow. I Look noticed parts Maine. of northern Vermont and Maine and New Hampshire all had a severe thunderstorm watch out. And I don't know this because I, I meant to go look but didn't pull up the stat. I would imagine that's semi-rare, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they they do get tornado warnings and stuff up there. But, you know, for a tornado to actually reach the ground up there, I think that's pretty pretty rare. Well, Pete, if nobody was around, did it really happen? Yeah, that's... <laughs> I think Barbara and Jim were barbecuing. That there, <laughs> somebody, somebody was in the polygon somewhere. Uh, you say, you say that, Scotty. I actually saw that uh, that tornado warning come across the NWS Twitter. I guess their uh, tornado warnings account that I got on alerts on my phone, and uh, one of the warnings up there for a tornado warning today had a population of ten. Wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, guys. So I'm going to break the rules of Tweet of the Week. Oh, um, boy. Here we go. There, there are uh, rules to this? Yeah, so normally <laughs> oh, we try to go for weather or science, but I'm pulling in technology on this one, okay? So let me screen share. All right. So here's my Tweet of the Week. 26 years ago yesterday, Mario Kart <laughs> came out. And I've got to say... Mario Kart was my favorite video game ever, and so my tweet of the week is "Happy Birthday to Mario Kart" because Yoshi was my favorite character. So. Yeah, don't slip on the banana. <laughs> That's right. I so, still insist that we challenge the Stormfront freaks to a game of Mario Kart. We've got to. All we've right. To. So yeah, I mean, I the other tweet of the week was was talking about the uh, tropics uh, getting active, but Shay covered that so. I said, heck, we're just going to tweet about Mario Kart. So that was my tweet of the week um, for this week. So, 
Anyways, anywho, uh, next week we have on Dr. Jen or Jen DeHart. Uh, she's from Colorado State University. She's going to be talking about topographical influences on hurricanes. Uh, and then the 12th, we're going to be having on Mike Bullen from Mike's weather page talking about hurricanes. So we're kind of getting back into the hurricane groove of things, at least for the next few weeks as we uh, reach the peak hurricane season. On the 19th of September, our good friend, Dr. Uh, our good friend Rick Smith from the National Weather Service in Norman, Oklahoma, is going to also be joining us to talk about storm anxiety. So um, as we kind of enter this, this hurricane season, people's nerves kind of get up a little bit. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. So that's what it looks like for the next few weeks here on the Carolina Weather Group. As always, if you have a show topic you would like for us to talk about, maybe a guest you would like us to interview, please uh, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we have, uh, I think, six shows that are not booked for the rest of the year. So uh, I think most of November and December are still open. So we'd love to reach out to uh, to those folks. I think we're actually going to be reaching out to Ed Piotrowski here in just a few weeks. So hopefully we can get Ed booked on uh, Carolina Weather Group for uh, November or December. Ed won the uh, Broadcaster of the Year for South Carolina just a few weeks ago, and it was like, I really miss being on the show, so we're going to we're gonna get him back on and uh, kind of shoot the breeze with him. So as always, if you have any topics or guests, please let us know. We will work on it. I know Shay's working on a few things, uh, as well as myself and Jared, so uh, hopefully we'll get the rest of the year booked up pretty quickly. So with that, we hope you have a great rest of the week. Enjoy uh, Labor Day. I hope you have a good, safe one. Watch out for those rip currents out at the coast if you're going to the beach. And uh, we'll see you back here next Wednesday night for the Carolina Weather Group. I am Scotty Powell. Have a great night.